Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are so excited to launch our new podcast about diversity and inclusion. We've got a fascinating season one, which will cover subjects like why should we care about inclusion and banter, with equally fascinating guests like Anika Anora and Dame Kelly Holmes. This week on DNI Spy, we ask, are we bored of DNI and what is diversity fatigue? I'm Natasha Whitehurst and I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. As usual, we promise to have a candid discussion on those tricky topics that can sometimes leave people feeling really uncomfortable. Um, It's important for us to see that inclusion is an action. So that's what we'll be talking about today. What can we do? And today we have Gian Power, who is the CEO and founder of TLC Lions. Gian set up his first business, age 13, and later worked at Deutsche Bank and PwC. Gian's received lots of recognition for the work he's done, and we are super excited to have this conversation. So welcome. Hello. No, you just furrowed your brow when you when Natasha said <laughs> lots of reasons. Well, you never know what you're going to say, so I'll like pause. But no, thanks for having me. It's what was the R word? <laughs> So today's topic is diversity fatigue. What are your what are your initial thoughts hearing about diversity fatigue, Gian? I'm going to come to you first. Hey, I was reflecting on this, and when I hear the word fatigue, people can think we feel tired of hearing something, but that to me can also mean that we're getting somewhere. If, I, if I'm if people say I'm sick of hearing about X, that means actually we're smashing a stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm hearing about it all the time, finally we're getting somewhere where. Because if we weren't, I'd say, well, the message isn't getting out there strong enough. So for me, when it comes to inclusion, diversity, mental health, if you're constantly hearing about it, I say that means that we're on the road and we're starting to smash some stigma because there's still a long way to go. I think that's an incredibly positive way to start the podcast. And I'm going to bring it right down now. <laughs> oh, it's not like you, Dr. Julie. <laughs> so I think it's about people who are not wanting to engage in it. And I think that's a problem. So I think, yes, it does mean that people are hearing a lot and there's a lot of noise. But I also think that the message isn't getting through in the right way if it's really pissing people off as mm. well. And I guess maybe that's the difference. So there's the people that are pissed off. Well, I felt naughty swearing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Mum. Yeah. And then, um, but then actually, is it that then lots of people are hearing about um, diversity and inclusion, and and they're feeling like they are consuming it in the right way? So maybe it is a balance. Mm-hmm. But we did ask um, our followers on socials, mm-hmm. um, and there was an overwhelming re- uh, majority that said yes. There was like definite diversity fatigue from them and it was interesting to see the amount of people that actually came back to us directly with their own kind of personal feelings um one person messaged to say um that they feel that they just don't feel that they can win with dni which i thought was really interesting Mm. i mean for me it depends what how we define diversity fatigue because if we all reply to something i guess until it's defined i don't know what i'm answering about yeah if you know what i mean it's like Tired of hearing about the word diversity? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So I'm going to come in with, uh, I do like my research on my uh, definitions of what we do. <laughs> so the definition was, mm. it was it was exactly, it was, it was said, being tired of diversity inclusion and not wanting to discuss it with, or engage with it. 
Okay. That was the definition that we decided to go with today. The engage part for me is interesting and slightly worrying, I suppose, like that people feel tired of having to do the work. But ultimately, mm. we said at the beginning, inclusion is an action, mm. right? But I think for us and for me and my works, I like to relate yeah. everything to everybody. There's 7 billion people on this earth and I think everybody's unique and got their own views and thoughts and life stories and making the topic of diversity feel personal to them in some way makes people engage a lot more. Mm. So I feel if we just keep harping on about the same things all the single time, it's got to make it relevant to yeah. that's a 50 year old white guy or an 18 year old apprentice who's a young black girl. Like, it's just got to relate to their lives. Otherwise, it is going to sound just generic. Yeah. So, Gian, tell us about TLC Lions and how you do that then. Yeah, so well, TLC Lions, our mission is to humanise the working world through the power of storytelling. Because I truly believe that everybody's got a story. And if we can empower people to understand their stories, it's often the greatest strength they didn't even know that they had. And if we can use those stories, especially within organisations, it can drive forward a culture a culture being an ever-evolving journey that we're all on. So, yeah, that's kind of what we're all about. We've got 60 of the world's most powerful storytellers around the world, talking about gender equity, racial equity, you know, all the way through to talking around things like HIV, the menopause, miscarriage, things that we need to talk about to make workplaces more human. And so, yeah, our storytellers, our lions open up the topics, but then it goes a step further and it's like, how do we get everybody to share their story, own their story, own their narrative, and it will really elevate their lives and create the cultures we all need. What I really like about you and your lions is that you always bring it back to the business perspective. So um, whenever I've seen you, and, and a number of your lions actually, um, and they don't just talk, they just talk about the action and the what people who are in the audience can go away and do. Are there, any, are there a couple of examples that you can think of with your lions that you can share their stories now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you one. After this podcast where I'm heading, you know, to meet a lion who I'm like, meeting who's over from the United States. And one of the topics I want to talk about, D&I, but generally in the workplaces around the impact of technology on all of us, different generations, the way we use it, the way we interact with it. So instead of us just talking in workplaces about technology, this lady shared her story of how she got to the board of IBM, and that started in the slums of South Africa, with no access to technology, no prospects, apartheid going on, and how actually she found a little job advert, and it just happened to be in digital. And this was back four, 40 years ago, and she ran and she had to take a bus six hours every single day to and from school, you know, until she finally landed a job and it was her mentors that supported her and got to where she is today on the board of IBM. And so, for example, there, you know, we're, we're not just going in to talk about inclusion and talk about a digital world. It's through the story because people are going to remember it. So, yeah, there's one of them. Another one is Dr. Kamel Hoti, who has been a huge, huge supporter of our work. And the way that Kamel does this, though, is, you know, we can go in and just talk about inclusion. It's important. Mm. But Kamel is the UK's first female Asian banker. And what she does in her talk, she, she walks in, let's say there's an audience of 50 or 100, and she'll say to everyone, make a judgment of me. Lock it in. And then she'll share her career, you know, 40 years at Lloyds Bank and all the great stuff she's done with the royal family. And you know, they look at her OBE and then she says, make a judgment of me now. And then she takes them all the way back to the 70s and says, actually, you know, I was a refugee from India. I came here with no job prospects. All my aunties worked in the factory. Nobody would give me a voice. And I've lived in a very kind of sexist household. 
And then she says, you know, it's very deep and emotive part. And then she says, now make a judgment of me. And if you knew that part first, would you hire me? And so the way we try to do it through the stories is, as you say, it's bringing it back to the business case. But I like to hit people hard because mm. if we don't, nobody's going to engage and I'm, I'm sick of it. <laughs> Am I fatigued? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think that's, it, it, I suppose, goes back to why people are fatigued because they don't see themselves in inclusion. And I suppose that's what you're doing. You're, you're bringing, you know, bringing the real person to inclusion. And I think that as DNI professionals, that's what we have to do as well. Um, but when I was talking to um, a few people about different topics and today, and not today's topic fatigue, I was saying, what do you think? Somebody actually said, I feel like um, I'm being bludgeoned to death by diversity and inclusion. Oh, okay. So, and, and you know, how do you answer that? Do you know what? I know I started off on a positive note. Because <laughs> we brought him down. I know. This is your fault. <laughs> because I'm default optimism is what I like to say to the team yeah. as well. Default optimism. But, but it is looking at all the organisations we work with. There's so much out there that when you go back even, you know, when we uh, met mm. Julie kind of four or five years ago, it was out there, don't get me wrong. And it was, it was a thing to start speaking about. It's a lot. Now it's everywhere. It's another level now, isn't another it? Another level. And I, and I feel that some organisations can't, they feel they can't do right for doing wrong. Mm. They want to support X person, then Y gets offended. And I've seen this in our work. Yeah. And, and it is a real challenge. And I'm not saying I have the solution because I don't, but that's why I've tried to move towards being human, to engage everybody. So I'm not trying to box you in. Not looking at all diverse populations. I'm saying, can we just be operate on a more human level in society and in workplaces to just give a damn about the person you're with, please? Hmm. Yeah, and you often say that about kind of bringing it back to the basics that actually you just want everyone to feel included and, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever form they want to come to work in, you know, feel it's, comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's not about different minority groups. It's mm. about everyone um, and what I've seen, sorry, I'm really um, taking over this podcast, Natasha. Sorry. It's no. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. I just but I'm absorbing everything you're saying. <laughs> I feel particularly passionate about this. <laughs> well, what we saw in the last five years, we've seen a massive expansion, explosion in DNI yeah. roles. Yeah. Explosion. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's it's like 67% more than there were five years ago now. Um, and three quarters of those are at the senior level or director level. It makes me think that. Um, Two things. Companies, are they taking it seriously or are they just shoving somebody in who's quite senior to say, tick, we've done that now? And is fatigue because people are seeing that and thinking, oh, you know, people, it, maybe, maybe people who are from minority group are looking and saying, well, I'm getting fatigued because all you've done is tick that box. Mm. I think you make yeah. a good point and we often talk about, you know, if you are going to embed a DNI team, it has to be meaningful. Like it can't be that, oh, well, we've got our one person, they're a director, tick, that's what's mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. Equally, the work then that that person comes in to do has to be really meaningful. Um, and like you say, it has to almost humanise DNI because if you talk to the every person, the first thing they think about when you say DNI is race and ethnicity. Yes. That's all you get. And, yeah. and you get that kind of, Oh, you're just here to, you know, to 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 bring more black and brown people into mm. the business. Whatever business Which you may be. Interesting though, because that's not where my mind went. My mind went to gender. Ah. Oh. But do you know, I, yeah. I don't know. It's 
it's it's interesting. Every person will think it differently. Yeah. But over yeah. over, if you were to look at the majority, what you get back would be around race and ethnicity. Mm. And and is that because of George Floyd's murder? Because I and think that so. we think that's happened over the last two years, and mm. people equate diversity with George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think if you look at the execs and you know the exec teams that have then brought in DNI professionals. It was that was a turning point in history. Mm. That that moment in time will forever sit in in everyone's minds, won't it? And that was the turning point. So therefore, I think people automatically mm. go to that. And I think when you when you start then talking to people and saying, well, actually, each person is more than one thing. So they're not mm. just their race. They're not just their sexual orientation. You know, they might be part of the LGBT community, but they're also female or mm. whatever it may be. And I think when you can then start unpacking that and showing the layers of people, I think that's when people really start understanding DNI. But I think until you kind of hit that sweet spot of saying, we all sit within diversity, and you know, we're all diverse, there's that kind of disconnect. Mm. No, I think, and one of my bugbears in organisations actually is what I call call can't speak inclusion marketing versus inclusion reality because I was on a call a few weeks ago with an organization Mm. huge company and I went on as I do do my research went on the website before I thought wow this is amazing for the first time I thought this is a company I'd probably want to work for if you didn't even tell me what they did why they did it was great I get on the call and I explained and they said oh that's the issue the website looks fantastic we are attracting everybody we've got a kick-ass marketing team but behind the scenes, our HR culture, our people, our leadership mm. team are not at the same level. And there's a huge gap. And there's this whole inclusion marketing that I'm seeing. Mm. But the reality of it is I speak to friends, you know, they're like, yeah, that's not the case. And so when I think it comes to fatigue, there's definitely a fatigue there amongst people I speak to. Of, Do you know what? I give up. They tick, as you say, put the people in the role, tick the box, doing a few this, that and the other. But it's not really driving anything because they're not measuring it. They're not monitoring it, many organisations. Mm. And they don't actually know. God, you're really going to get me kicking off now. <laughs> half, half of the companies don't know what they want. Mm. Yeah. And the amount of calls I sit on, not naming names, but, it <laughs> but we, we always say, you know, can you define what success looks like in 12 months? And they can't. Mm. Now, that's often because they don't know enough or there's no decision maker. And it goes round and round and round. And the people suffering are the people who probably are fatigued because there's nobody driving it forward. And I'd get tired if I didn't have a leader who had direction. Yeah, and I think, well, maybe they're suffering from, they just need to show that they're doing something in DNI, And therefore, if they bring you in, then they've ticked that box again. They've done something. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I think where I am, I work closely with the board and they have a direction and, you know, we're really lucky in that respect. Mm. But, you know, other companies aren't like that. What, what's your, your sort of some of your clients? What, what are their thoughts around? Has, have you seen a change over the last few years? Yeah, within organisations, mm. names. yeah i think let me have a think about some of them that we've worked with um like a lot of our work with axa the insurance company has been fantastic you know the insurance Mm -hmm, industry well and it's been so great seeing their genuine commitment whether that was looking at data around race and ethnicity and the challenge was you know they couldn't just go out and say oh could you give us your data and we worked with them to say we need to explain why You know, why? Actually, we want to create a more of a sense of a belonging for you. We want you to understand that we want to make it an amazing place to work. And only with the data can we do that. And have really been committed on the journey of being consistent. I think another thing AXA did really well was they celebrate those okay. and anybody who supported the DNI agenda. I don't see that in many organizations, just nothing more than a celebration. 
How so do they do that? Thank you. They just bring them all together, oh, you know, wow. for kind of corporate afternoon or mm. drinks after work or whatever it is. And th- there's no agenda other than just say thank you. Mm. And the leaders mm. are there to say thank you, whether it's your day job or you do it because you care. Just a heartfelt thank you. And I thought organisations don't do that enough. And yeah, and leaders don't turn up to things like that. No. Really, so it's great when they do. Exactly. I think that's been great. I'm trying to think of some of the others like Uber. A lot of our work with Uber has been amazing because we work closely on them with all of their employee resource groups around the world. And we realise that if you want to drive forward the membership, if you want them to have a voice and really exist and drive change, the exec sponsors of all of these need to be emotionally connected, not just Mm. intellectually connected. And so we worked with them on all of their stories, the leaders' stories, so they can absolutely articulate why they care about pride at Uber why they care about gender at Uber. And it was it was just amazing. Uh, it was just fantastic just seeing that change rather than just like, oh, I'm the exec sponsor of that network. Mm. Nice one. So really bringing that kind of personal story and mm. using the story to then, yeah, influence. Because, because sometimes people are uncomfortable and especially leaders because it's difficult for they're in a position, obviously, of leadership and they have to be something to everyone haven't they so and do we give them enough support maybe that we just throw these exec sponsor roles at them don't we and say off you go you know we Mm. want you to you know be a flag waver but what how are we helping them we're not that that's the thing and i think that one of the reasons why i'm so passionate about people's individual stories actually started you mentioned because of the murder of george floyd because too many black friends of mine said to me look i've i've been told share my story at work and i was kind of saying okay, so how do you feel? And they're like, well, I wish I didn't say this, that and the other. So, so what was your support? Mm. And they said, oh, HR reviewed a script. And so I went away for about three months to just study the science of storytelling and its application to a corporate setting and realised actually how harmful that can be to a person if they're sharing before they're ready. You know, and I know you're going to talk in other podcasts around people's response to sharing Mm -hmm. and that is so, so harmful if somebody's not ready. And so that's, yeah, why we launched half of our work to say, look, we can train the skill of storytelling, but you don't have to share anything until you're ready, nor should you. goes back to your point about CEOs and leaders. Don't make them share something not ready to. Have the conversation. They get pushed out a little bit too much, things they're not mm. ready to talk about. Yeah, and you're right, because everyone has got a story, but mm. how you put that together and how you want it out there is is pretty exactly. difficult, yeah. It is, it is. I think it also comes then back to that psychological safety and the culture in the organisation. You know, if you don't feel comfortable where you are, that's just going to hinder it even more. And by pushing people then to share more of their stories, potentially perpetuates that fatigue, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then do we stop bludgeoning people to death, I suppose? How do we do that? Um, uh, But then is it like a hill we just have to get, get through? Yeah, or over, maybe not through. Mm. Over. Or through, or through. Yeah, or through. Um, because, you know, is it almost that the people that don't want to get on the bus are the people that are feeling the fatigue and actually if they don't want to get on the bus then they have to stop off or whatever mm-hmm. the saying is. But, you know, is that potentially where some of it comes from and that noise around D&I, could that, could that be? Well, from my perspective, I always have always thought, let's go to the open doors. Let's, but I'm I'm thinking as we're discussing this, whether that's the wrong approach. Whether actually the open doors are open already, so let's let's really focus on those closed doors that people don't want to talk about it. But it's a blooming hard job that one, mm. isn't it? It is. It really is. Like, and and I think there's so many. 
it's good to have a challenge, I feel, but I think how do we sort it within the organizations? I don't like to box DNI inclusion over here. So in any work, I'm kind of like, look, can we stop being siloed? Bring the head of comms in, bring the head of HR, bring inclusion, bring everything together. Yeah. And most importantly for me is learning and development. Because I think I, this is my personal view that I like to push forward is how do we get it into the skin and the DNA of a company? So it kind of just becomes second nature every single day so they're going through mandatory training programs they don't even realize mm. that they're learning about dni mm. because they're learning about sales skills negotiation training mm. just happens to be how to negotiate with people of different cultures or if somebody's japanese you're having a meeting they don't like their back to the door you know that could be part of a sales training so yeah anyway kicking off it's la- well it's layering it isn't it it's yeah. so, so it's not always talking about diverse inclusion it's 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 something that's called something different yeah. and, that, and that brings me on to let, let's have a think about the media so when we talk about diversity fatigue people feel like that they are hearing about diversity all the time at work and then they open the newspapers or they look at their apps or they turn the tv on and you know they've they're having it rammed down their throats as well you know how, how do we think diversity is dealt with in the media it's tricky right and uh... For me, I'm going to go back to a point I made about the human and the stories. And if somebody's listening to this and they're of that mindset of, God, I keep, I just keep hearing about this thing. I like to reframe it in that there's something I can learn from everyone. And there's, you know, there's interesting stories out there. That's what the media is at the end of the day, really interesting stories. And that's how I kind of like to see everything of just rather than see how it's been rammed down my throat again. It's, I guess I'm just a little bit. Not going to say strange. Strange is good. <laughs> interesting. I, I am really interested in people's stories, and I think mm, I can learn. Yeah. So, flip your mindset if you think, "Oh, it's this stuff again." It's there for a reason. What? How can it change your mindset? You know. Anyway, I, th- I think sometimes when we listen to the media uh, or listen to the TV channels and things, and, and they're you know, oh, this woke brigade, and you know, PC gone mad, and and that's when they're all lumping DNI into. I don't know, sort of like a globule of something. They're not bringing mm. it back to the stories. They're not mm. bringing it back to actually everyone's different. So it's yes. not about being woke. It's about just respecting different people, you know. But but there's this, there's this I don't know, this charge at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I felt it, I think, probably over the last year or so. Yeah. It has been really strong against di- diverse inclusion. Mm-hmm. I think we had... Um, as you say, sort of, we met about five years ago. It was, um, you know, we were all sort of, it was a profession, mm. but it was, we were all feeling our way around DNI. And then um, George Floyd's murder happened and exploded. And suddenly everybody wants to talk about it. And now I feel like it's dipping now. And people are sick of talking about it. They think, we've done that. We've talked about that. We've mm. thought we've used our brain power on that. We don't need to think about it anymore. And, and now it's a really hard battle yeah. to stop it. It is. And I think we've, again, we've moved our work towards not just being human, but company culture, Mm. because I think everything is about the culture, the way people feel, the way people engage in the workplace. Mm. And so I think culture is absolutely critical. We know that. And that's kind of where I'm seeing it. It go a little bit more. Um, There's a point on my mind, I'm sure will come back in a second. Do you think D&I is, will morph into culture work then? Mm. I definitely do think so. My points come back. Netflix going to come back ah. to this, right? Uh, 
Yes, honestly, and I think we see that a lot today in our work. And we work in a lot with companies to say, how do you define your culture? Again, goes back to what is success here. Talk to me about your culture. Let me feel it. I feel it when I walk in the door. So tell me what it's like. And then what's your aspirational culture? And kind of what's this gap and how can we get you there? A culture of belonging, a culture of inclusion, a culture where people speak about mental health. They feel safe. Mm. You know, a culture where people can be authentic. And I think it's, it's framing it. I'm not trying to like hide things here, but framing it in a different way. Mm. I just came from from Reed Smith, a law firm, and just talking about authenticity. And they were saying, like, this is our culture. We just want to bottle it up and then say to prospective candidates, here, have a, have a smell of that. <laughs> right. and, and I get it and I liked it. And I yeah. Thought, yeah. That's it, nice. It kind of brings it to mm, life a bit more, doesn't it? Yeah. Netflix. Here we go. All right, ready for another kickoff. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And if anybody's need, like a drum roll here. <laughs> and can change this, please. Right. D&I, mental health, for me, it all goes together. It's all important. I work so hard to make sure language is correct. We're all learning. I'm learning every day. Yep. If somebody dies by suicide, it's died by mm. suicide. To use the verb to commit is a crime and it's mm. changed in the 1960s. Correct. Last night I sat down and watched the, the documentary about the young boys in the cave in Thailand who were rescued. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Settled down, episode one, and they used the word commit. Did they? And I just thought it's 2022. I'm sat doing all this work as much as I can mm. with my following on LinkedIn or elsewhere. And we have these conversations. Talk about the media and the mainstream. Mm. Millions will watch that now and think that that's okay. Mm. So that, um, and Where that must that have gone through down? so many yeah. layers, mustn't it? Right. And it's, just, it, yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, so so I'll, give, I'll just give you a quick example of yeah. um, when the daily, so the Sunday Mirror had a um, big scoop uh, that, Dame Kelly Holmes came out recently and and uh, the editor was looking at different headlines and different splashes um, and, and and she spoke to people within our organisation and, um, you know, to say, which do you think would be better, which is hopefully how other organisations should do it. So Netflix, you know, maybe they didn't go through that second check, second check and think, mm. oh, is this the right wording? Is it, you know, because I slip my language slips yeah. you know so maybe it was a slip that someone said commit suicide but actually how many layers did that go through that everybody can't slip somebody must have said at some point well we don't use that frame yeah. you know that's like 50 years old or something but yeah it's a really it's a difficult one language it's a whole different podcast we'll mm. have to get you back to yeah. talk about language yeah <laughs> definitely yeah anyway I think just going back to what you've both been touching on around culture though I think a part of diversity fatigue comes in with cancel culture mm. and you know even down to language and again we could talk and talk and talk about this but I think there is a fear associated with DNI of people feeling uncomfortable because they've seen cancel culture mm. and how that works and I think just because like we work in DNI in the DNI space whatever you want to call it you know that doesn't mean that we all have to have one viewpoint on everything no. And I think we're some people or areas of the world are kind of getting to a point where they think, well, DNI means that we all have to think the same, and that's not the case at all. And I think there is that kind of blurry grey area at the moment, um, which is then, yeah, like I say, tied back to cancel culture. Yeah, I mean, for me, thinking is underrated, mm. and it's so important. And as you say, nobody likes an echo chamber, and we 
And uh, they're really bad, right? You want people who challenge your thoughts. And I, I, I don't want friends who all agree with me. It's boring. Mm-hmm. And so people should see the positive if they are being challenged at work. Say, was that the right thing to say? I expect that of my friends, let alone my colleagues. Because otherwise you just live in the same bubble all the time. And you don't learn. And for me, that's quite boring. Mm. <laughs> I think I think cancel culture, though, stems from social media. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of questions to answer around social media and how people can be so anonymous mm. and troll. You know, before we, we started recording, we were talking about trolling. And, you know, it's just, I think it's easy to cancel people if you're anonymous um, and not take any responsibility for your words. Um, and that's where I think a lot of diversity fatigue could come in because you wouldn't say to someone, you know, oh God, I'm sick of hearing about your gripes to their face. You know, you'd say, you would actually say, oh, you know, tell me more or, you know, can we talk about, it? if you don't want to talk about it, talk about it at a different time or, you know, but you'd be respectful to them. But, mm. um, you know, it's the fatigue for me showing up on social media by anger and by cancelling people. And yeah. I think that's that's quite a dangerous thing. It's not apathy. It's not, oh, just, you know, I don't want to talk about it. It's like, it's just nastiness. It's it's so true. And I think in person, we don't focus enough on like listening as well. I always say like just to mm. listen without judgment. It's a real skill. And I'm on a journey. But if you can do that, I think it's just so amazing to or to read without judgment. And just, yeah, it, it's not done enough and it's sad. Um, but but yeah. in this fast paced world we live in, mm. do we have time to stop and think? You know, it's so, so I used to drive into work or get the training to work and you know now I don't I work from home usually so I, I've lost my thinking time yeah. every day I used yeah. to have like a couple of hours in the morning a couple of hours in the evening where I was like, you yeah. know having a nice commute now I just go bump straight into it yeah and I think a lot of people are like that and they just feel frazzled and would love to have a nice think about things but can't I know and, and I, I I think with that it is tricky because whenever I'm away and I'm traveling and stuff I try to mark out time for some thinking it's different if people got children caring yeah. responsibilities i'm not going to say it's easy for everyone but like last wednesday i was in madrid with pwc and i just blocked out the evening i went to a spa place where i couldn't have my phone just to think yeah or as my therapist said you know you're a human being just be we're not a human doing and, and and i was just there i was just being and i was just thinking about my life and my thoughts and yeah you know, getting real deep here but just <laughs> I just don't think we think enough and that is social media to blame because you can wake up and ping, ping, ping. You know, I've got my strict, I like to meditate, I like to think. It's We do have an option. It's not always easy and I'm no angel. Yeah. You know, Meditation is important to you, isn't it? Very. Why? It is the single most important thing that's helped me since my own tragedy in 2015 to take control of my mind and realise that you can't change the things that happen in your life but you can change how you respond to them. And it's helped me do that to respond and not react. And was that a gradual process to get to your Zen state now? Or because you, know, you are quite Zen. <laughs> We're a bit coffee. angry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but was that a gradual process of, you know, getting into that meditation and knowing you needed to get to that point? Or was it It was. I mean, in 2016, I remember I was in the office and I've always been quite go, go, go. You know, I want to adhere to excellence is one of my own values and I remember a leader at PwC said to me she's like Jan you're gonna burn out and she said to me it's gonna sound a bit weird she said Jan take my phone go into the toilet put the toilet sit down <laughs> just go into the cubicle and listen to this and I was like what 
the hell is this? A bit weird. And I did, and it was a 10-minute meditation on YouTube. And honestly, in a situation that was so overwhelming and everything I had going on, I came out so calm and so collected. And it's, you know, today I did one on the power of stories, actually. It just happened to be today. It's my sister's birthday, and it was all very relevant. But the the point is that it's it's taught me, you talk about listening, mm. you know, thinking, being it's taught me just calm down and to focus on the breath and 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 it's shown you know if you for example talk about diversity inclusion again if you have an hour-long meeting as a team i know some organizations who spend the first five minutes doing a meditation yeah and the remaining 55 minutes are powerful because the loud ones have calmed down Mm. the quieter ones have got a voice and it's leveled the playing field yeah it's yeah, I could speak all day about this. It's a really good technique, actually. I've seen it work really, really well. And I think leaders are so important to make all of that happen. You had a leader that obviously sent you to the bathroom to, to do your first <laughs> meditation. <laughs> but Yeah, but I think leaders have a real part to play in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about walking meetings, thinking about, you know, saying to your team, you know, take an hour and go and do some thinking mm. because we... I think we probably all work a lot better when or think better when you're commuting or when you're just at rest as opposed to, you know, metaphorically, obviously, chained to your desk. Mm. Um, You know, eight hours of day meetings now, people like you say, ping, you're up, you go Mm. straight into your office, you're working. If you're at home, you've not got any of that space just to what's that word, like ruminate on your kind of Mm. thoughts. And, And I think we're all really missing that. And I think that's been the the downside of the recent kind of work from home changes, if I'm honest. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I'm going to bring it down again, though. But back to the bludgeoningly. I'm going to get a co- I'm going to get like a button that goes. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, I just think. Listen, like imagine like someone listening like to our podcast, thinking, "Well, I'm going to hear about like how to get about talk about diversity fatigue, and we're all talking about meditation and like <laughs> I don't know. Again, are we not? I know, and, and we all have to speak to different people in different ways because we're all very different. And I, you know, are we still missing the point of how to, how to, not, I don't want to drag people in with yeah. us, but how to get people excited and interested in other, in each other, mm-hmm. to not think about it that it's diverse inclusion, that it's actually, it's just human being mm-hmm. and not human doing exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. that, isn't it? You know, how do we do that? Well, again, so. My view on this is very, it's a clear one and a strong one, which again, it goes around. I'm fascinated by people's stories. And if you can get excited from every interaction that you have or person that you're going to meet or colleague who's with you or person on the bus or the woman at the check-in at the airport, whatever it is, if you can get real interested and curious, I think curiosity is so important to say, actually, you know, I'm not saying get your notepad out and you're going to write down notes on everybody you meet come on but it's kind of like oh I bet their life's interesting oh I wonder where she grew up you know I'm I'm probably the extreme of this but if everyone can just think about that a little bit more think you know I sit on the bus sometimes and if I see two elderly men I think wow imagine their life when they were young before technology what must have that been like sometimes I have a natter because it's kind of who I am and and then it's, you can learn. It's a very northern trait that you know yeah, <laughs> oi, oi. <laughs> but, it, but I, I think that that's it of how can we you know, make this engaging? Just keep it simple, you know, which kiss, mm. keep it super simple. Someone once said to me, right? It's just, that's what I think it is. Make it engaging, get to know your colleagues on a deeper level. Sometimes we do have to do a catalyst for that. It's kind of why you know, 
we do what we do to say, actually, not everybody is ready to share. Nobody knows their story. Not everybody's engaged. And don't be harsh on those people. Mm. Get like curious. That. Get curious. Mm. That's an that's a theme that's coming out of our mm. uh, our podcasting journey, isn't it? Yeah. Curiosity yeah. Yeah. <laughs> already. <laughs> Yeah. So um, we have um, one thing that we ask all of our guests at the end um, is we obviously talk about inclusion being an action. Um, what is your one tip that you would say to people? Next time you meet somebody, actively listen. We hear with our ears, but we listen with our full bodies. Tune into what they're saying and get curious about them and see what you can learn from them. Drop the mic. I was going to say, <laughs> boom. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so our debrief on our chat with Gian Power. I love Gian. He's so, so <laughs> full stop. Open. Full stop. <laughs> He's like so open. He's so honest. He's, He's warm. So, yeah. He's, there's no side to him he he is he just he's w- what you see which yeah. is brilliant and i love the fact that he talks about the human being not you're a human being you're not a human doing yeah um so i was um i think i was probably a bit too chatty and didn't <laughs> let me get a word in but he's I, too polite to tell me to show up well it happens often um I loved that he talked about storytelling and the power mm. of because I think it's one of it, it is one of the most impactful things that anyone can do um or any you know any organization leaders I think when leaders re- or you know anyone at any level if you have a person at middle manager that actually has worked their way up and has a really you know, has their, their story to tell there is e- they are as equally as powerful as a chief exec or you know senior board member talking about theirs but it's that it humanizes um a person doesn't it and so that was my really big takeaway and reminder actually of the power of that Mm. and and that's where he definitely began and and started tlc lions and they've just grown and grown and they've got 60 lions now haven't they and Mm. there's some there's some really powerful people as part of that organization um and i loved his takeaways as well and his takeaway was around curiosity Mm -hmm. um and again that you know reading educating yourself uh, but also being open to other people and their stories and their background at the end of the day we are all human beings Mm -hmm. um and so yeah that curiosity to get to know others and i think he's got a lot more to say guian i think um we didn't even cover you know how he got into um, what he's doing now with TLC Lions, you know, he referred to the tragedy, but, you know, his father was murdered, um, you know, and it's, that has shaped him. You can tell that has shaped him mm. into the person that he is. Yeah, and, you know, when he, he did allude to that and talk about, you know, one of his coping mechanisms now being like meditation and, okay, you know what, it's not for everybody, but taking the concept of that time for yourself, um, and then, you know, he said it, you know, everyone is busy you know you have different time pressures and constraints in your life but it's really important whether it's once a day once a week once a month you know you carve in that time out for yourself um because you know there is that um 
there's just that element of kind of well-being isn't there yeah and I think he, he handled the topic of diversity fatigue really well because you know it's it's a really thorny issue mm. um you know trying to get people to um talk about what they consider is an unpleasant concept of you know inclusion which we think is a bit strange but um I think no in summary love Guillaume <laughs> <laughs> He's got a great podcast voice. Yeah, so I actually. hope everyone who listens really enjoys it. He's got a great yeah. voice. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.